Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Well, I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. I'm sure some, some of you knew exactly where we were going today. Uh, Luke chapter 15, we're continuing to look at life-changing lessons from the parables of Jesus, and we've been so blessed this summer as we've looked at several different parables. And as we know and are reminded, parables are, <clears throat> are stories that teach, but they're not just simply stories that teach some kind of valuable life lesson. In the Bible, in Scripture, and, and spoken through Jesus, these parables teach us something that is life-changing, a, a deep spiritual truth that uh, Jesus wants to use to change our perspective or in some way change our hearts or uh, change some aspect of our life. And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, where, and, and, and as we do, what we're going to see, uh, the, the lesson, the life-changing lesson that we're going to see is how our Heavenly Father, God, our Heavenly Father, is constantly and relentlessly pursuing his children. No matter what we've done, no matter how far away we are from him, he is relentlessly pursuing us. As that song just said, as we, as we just sang, it, his love, he chases me down, fights till I'm found, he leaves the 99. There's no mountain he won't climb up coming after us. No lie he won't tear down coming after us. God is constantly and relentlessly pursuing his children. So uh, look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter 15. God's relentless pursuit of his children. In the first part of chapter 15, Jesus is teaching here about the joy, the joy of lost souls coming to repentance and faith in him. Um, starting at verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, is there anyone in all the world that does not need repentance? No, there's not. And this is the point that Jesus is making because it was the, tag, or sorry, the, the Pharisees and the scribes that didn't think that they needed repentance. They were complaining that Jesus was spending time with tax collectors and, and sinners, those who didn't on the outside have it all together and who got bound up in all different types of sin. And the attitude that the Pharisees and the scribes had was that they were fine. Hey, they, they had done the right things. 
They were living righteous lives. Who is this man that associates with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus continues in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she found it, she calls together, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As we continue on and get to the part about the lost son, the lost son what we're going to be seeing is this theme of, of God chasing after his lost children. An example of, of God's relentless pursuit. And this example that we're about to look at, so far we've looked at the example of the sheep, the lost sheep, the lost coin, but Jesus gets even more personal as he gets into this next parable, the parable about the lost son. And, and it's an example that cuts so much deeper to the heart because we're going beyond the example of, of a sheep or a coin. We're looking at the example of a lost human being, one of lo- God's lost children who are more precious to him than anything in all this world. And so, continuing on, Luke 15, starting at verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, 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 give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. End of story. Just kidding. This is not the end. I wish it was the end. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. 
And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has, he has been received back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. God, these are your words. And we pray that today as we look at these words that we would see more accurately your heart for each one of us, your heart for each one of your lost children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I want to note right away that we stand upon and believe is that God, as our Heavenly Father, is the perfect Father. And God, our Heavenly Father, has perfect love toward his children. And this is really the picture that we see in this text, the parable of the lost son. And there's so much in this text, but we're going to boil it down to two things. And I, I want us to see them as two, two different pictures, two pictures of God's relentless pursuit of his children. And the first picture is this, get ready for it, is that God pursues his rebellious, wretched, and broken children. There's a lot right there. Rebellious, wretched, and broken children. That's a lot of words, but I don't know how else to sum it up. Sin is a hard thing to describe, isn't it? And sin is, is rebellion toward God. It makes us wretched. It makes us broken, and it makes us helpless before him. And I don't know what you felt as I read through this parable, but this picture of the younger son, it, it really evokes a lot of negative emotions, doesn't it? A lot of negative feelings. I mean, we see him digging himself deeper and deeper into a pit. It really can't get any worse. First of all, what we see is that he demands his inheritance from his father, which in Jewish tradition basically tells a father, I wish that you were dead. That's, that's basically what he's communicating to his father and demanding his inheritance is saying, I wish that you were dead. Give me what you owe me, the inheritance that you owe me. And it would have completely then cut him off from his entire family and from his community. Hence, why he ran as far away as he could. It says that he went far away. We read on to see that he completely wasted everything, everything that he was given. It says that he squandered it in reckless living. We can only imagine 
all the different sins that he got caught up in. And the, the text here doesn't get too specific as to what that means. But we can only really imagine the worst. And sometimes we like to think, well, you know, maybe it's a, a, a loved one or maybe as, as you know of somebody who's digging themselves into deeper and deeper sin or, or maybe is, is, has run away from God or is, is far away from God and you know that about someone, sometimes you want to believe the best when really what we need to assume sometimes is the worst because sin upon sin just adds to more sin and, and it, it causes digging, getting, getting dug deeper and deeper into a pit. And that's what happened here to this, to this younger son. He gave in to any and every situation. And at the end of the story, the older son actually does get a little bit more specific. This is what the older son said about the younger son. He said, he devoured the father's property with prostitutes. That's really as bad as it can get. And we see then the results of these choices to give in to sin. What's the outcome? You end up at rock bottom. You end up at the height of humiliation. You end up in the pigsty, so to speak. That's where this younger son ended up. He sold himself to feed the pigs. And the reason why it was humiliation was because for Jews, pigs were considered to be unclean according to Old Testament laws. And so for him to reach the lowest of lows, to tend to pigs, was him coming to the end of himself. And isn't it true that sometimes because of our rebellion and because of our sinful ways, that it takes us coming to the end of ourselves to remember that there is a better way. And not only is there a better way, but there is the best way. The best way. The best thing is to be in right relationship with our Heavenly Father and, and to turn back to Him to repent of our sins. Verse 17, this is what He does. It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, that's what he said, okay? Now, I want you to think for a second, what might he have been thinking? Probably thinking, well, I shouldn't be welcomed back. My family by now has probably cut me off, has disowned me. I could be stoned to death if I go back there. And don't you see what's happening here? Reaches the end of himself. He's broken and helpless, and he's sorry for what he has done. And what we know about what Scripture says is that godly sorrow, godly sorrow produces repentance. And we know from Scripture that repentance is a turning. It's a 
walking one way towards sin and stopping and, and turning away from sin and turning toward God for forgiveness and grace and mercy. And so what we see in this example here is that this son goes back. He goes back in repentance. And he has his speech all prepared. He's, he's ready to confess before his father, ready to admit his unworthiness. And guess what? He's right. He's right. He's not worthy to be called this man's son anymore. But what we see is a picture, a beautiful, the most beautiful picture of God's heart for his children. The most unexpected thing happens. This father in this story does what no other Jewish father would have done in that day. Verse 20, it says, While he was still a long way off, his father, was, his father saw him. It goes on to say that he felt compassion. And we get the sense here that this father was looking, that this father was waiting. He was hoping and he was longing for this son to return. Not only that, but then we see his pursuit, his relentless pursuit. It says that the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is significant because this was not at all a normal action of a father in a situation like this. You see, the patriarch of a family, first of all, would never run and would never make the first move in a situation like this. It was considered to be undignified. And not only that, but it was considered to be unjust. Why would it be unjust? Well, unjust because the prevailing thought, the prevailing mindset was, give this son what he deserves. But that's not what the father did. Notice here that the son... Did you notice that the son isn't even able to finish his entire speech? He says, yes, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's not even able to make that request. Make me like one of your servants because before he can even get that far, the father stops him. The father starts to celebrate because it's a, it's a done deal. He's forgiven. He's welcomed back. And the celebration begins. It says that he brought him a robe. Imagine this. Imagine this incredible grace and mercy, not only welcoming him back, but giving him a robe, a symbol of royalty. Giving him sandals for his feet. Not only that, but then he kills the fattened calf, which was saved for Special occasions, the most special of occasions. Why? What would cause this father to do this? He says exactly why. He says, this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Did you know that the Bible describes each one of us before we come to salvation and faith in Jesus Christ as dead? Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in the ways in which we once walked. But then the greatest 
but in the Bible is right after that. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, made us alive in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. We see that God pursues his rebellious and wretched and broken children, and he, he welcomes each one back. He not only does that, but then he lavishes his love upon them and his blessing, and he restores each one of us. And because of that, we're reconciled, we're brought back into right relationship with him because of his great heart for his children. But that's not all. That's, that's not all we see in this story because we see another picture because there's another son in this story. And this is the second picture that I want us to see is that God also pursues his selfish, proud, and heartless children. There's another son and he's out in the field and he comes toward the house and and he basically says, what's, what's going on here? What's all this ruckus about? And when he hears of the celebration, so sad, but he doesn't share in any of the joy, wants to have nothing to do with it, refuses even to enter into the house, and he's standing outside. It says specifically that he was angry. He was fuming. But can you blame him? It doesn't seem fair, does it? Here, I, I've worked all this time. I've done the right things. And my brother? He deserves to be cut off. He deserves to be left for dead. But we see again here the equally sinful heart of man a heart of selfishness, a heart of pride, and heartless. Heartless that he is not even the least bit glad that his brother is alive and has returned. But thankfully, that doesn't stop the father, does it? It doesn't stop the father of his relentless pursuit, even for his selfish proud and heartless children. Verse 28, what we see, his father came out and entreated him. It says that he begged him to come in and, and, and asked him earnestly. And he even tries, this, this son, this other son, tries to build his case with the father. He says, oh, I did all the right things. And that can be so often what we do. We can be so wrapped up in doing things, what we think is what we're doing things for God, that we don't think about being with him and, and knowing and understanding his grace and mercy for even us, for even, even the ones that are seeking after him or are seeking to live for him or seeking to do the right thing. Sometimes our doing can get in the way of being with God. And might I even add that sometimes what we think we're doing for God can be more self-serving. And that's the trap that this older son got into, thinking that he's doing all this 
for his father when ultimately he was doing it for himself. The father pleads again, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And he makes one last attempt to get through to this older son, even reminds him of who this younger son is. He says, this, your brother, this brother of yours. And he says again why they're celebrating. He was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So how does the story end? How does the story end? It's kind of like one of those choose-your-own-ending stories. Jesus kind of just leaves it there. Leaves it there for the listener to respond. We can imagine that the Pharisees and the scribes who were listening to the story were, were outraged to hear this. What kind of father would do this? And really what Jesus is getting at is, is they're acting like the older son who refused to celebrate, thinking, how could this father love like that? My question is, how do you respond? Do you participate in joy of a wretched sinner coming to repentance and, and faith in Jesus Christ? The other question I want to ask is, is what's really the difference between these two pictures? What's the difference between the rebellious, wretched, and broken son on the one side and, and the selfish, proud, and, and heartless son on the other side? Now, there are some differences likely in the exact sins that they each committed, but when it comes to sin... Sin is sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. No matter what the sin is, sin always separates. Always separates us from the love of, sorry, always separates us from God the Father, but it does not separate us from his love. So we read in Romans 8. Nothing in all the earth can separate us from his love. That is ultimately the picture that we see here. We saw what sin did in the life of this younger son. And we see what then it does to the older son, too. Because he's just acting upon his selfishness and his pride. And I just want to say, what an awful way to live, isn't it? To stand outside, be apart from the father be apart from the celebration to refuse that invitation to come in and for him to also be cleansed, to be forgiven, to be free. Really, it's the end of the story. It's the older son who is the lost son, isn't it? the biggest difference that we see is that the repentant heart is the heart that receives God's grace, that receives God's love. You see, God can't 
give grace if we're not willing to receive it. We can't possess faith or grace if we're not willing to receive his love and his mercy, or especially if we think that we don't need it. Maybe you're convicted in one way or another today. Maybe you're convicted like that younger son who squandered everything. Maybe you look back on your life at different times in your life, or maybe you're in a place right now where you're living far from God. You've turned away from him in in some different way. Or maybe you're like the older son. Maybe you've put too much stock in your own doing for God, in your own righteous living. And maybe God's convicting you of the ways that you've been selfish, the ways that you've been prideful, the ways that you've been heartless toward the things of God and toward the people of God. Wherever you find yourself, God invites you. The Father invites you just as he does in the story to the younger son and to the older son. His heart is for all of his children. And today, we have an opportunity, an opportunity to celebrate together, to celebrate the love and the grace and the mercy of God, our Heavenly Father, as we come forward today together to receive the Lord's Supper. Because ultimately what that is is a celebration of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. The punishment that he took upon himself, the payment for your sin and for my sin because of the love of God the Father who welcomes each one of us to come and to receive his grace and mercy. I'm going to close in prayer, and as I do, I'm going to invite up Alex and Aaron. We're going to prepare to sing a song as we prepare for communion. But let's bow in prayer together and in response to this great and glorious love and grace and mercy that God has given us, that the Father gives us. Lord God, however you have spoken to us today, we acknowledge before you that each one of us, no matter what our background, no matter what our story, no matter where we are at today, we all have sin in our lives that you want to address, that you want to forgive, ultimately so that we can experience salvation, so that we can experience eternal life, so that we can experience the forgiveness that you give through the death and resurrection of Jesus. For all who call upon you, for all who believe in the name of Jesus and what he has done for us. But as we continue to live, even as forgiven children of God, we also acknowledge from day to day that our pride can get in the way of our relationship with you. Our selfishness can get in the way. And sometimes even our serving you or how we think we're serving you can get in the way. And sometimes it's more serving ourselves. God, we plead for forgiveness and grace and mercies for the way 
for the, the many ways that we have turned against you, the ways that we continue to be prideful, to be selfish, to be rebellious against you. We thank you most of all that you always welcome us back to you. And I pray that day after day we would receive that embrace that as you continue to pursue us each and every day that we would come to you, that not only would you pursue us but that we would turn to you and fall into your arms, into your embrace as you celebrate with us and as you forgive us and make us new. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.